Very rarely does violence come out of nowhere. Maybe it's the guy you passed on the subway steps. Maybe it's the guy that was giving you the long stare across the bar. Or the man that was leaning against a wall when you walked out to your car. Welcome everybody. I am your host, Barb Jordan. Now everybody has patterns. We all do. We all leave to go to work around the same time, come home around the same time, arrive at work about the same time. Maybe bring our kids to the soccer field about the same day of the week at the same time. We might not think it's a big deal, but when predators are watching us, they learn our routine. And that's what today's episode is about. It's going to talk a little bit about routines and also about your intuition. Because intuition can save your life. Now there's different types of predators. They all don't just wait in the woods and wait to attack a woman jogging alone. Some predators are very tricky and they toss out something friendly that you can identify with. They may try to befriend you. And so your intuition, it it plays a key part in keeping you safe. So when your intuition kicks in, when your intuition says, hey, what is this guy doing here? That's a warning sign. My guest today is Sue Aran. She was a college All-American, national champion, and she didn't let some of the things that I've already mentioned change the course of her life. In fact, she has helped over 350 high school students move on to compete at the college level with the pitching instruction that she provided. She is the founder of Fast Pitch Cares, which is a nonprofit that raises money for the Dornbecker Children's Hospital. Thanks so much for joining me, Sue. It's really my honor, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You have a story, obviously. That's why you're here. And I'd like you to share a little bit about when this happened to you and and what the atmosphere was like. Um, Well, it starts in March of 1982. I was a sophomore at Cal State University, Northridge. Um, I was 19 years old at the time. I lived at home because we lived right down the street from Cal State University, Northridge. And um, on this particular day, I rode my bike home like I always, always do and went to put my bike in the garage, but I heard my dog barking by the front door. So instead of going into the garage, I went by our front door, which was slightly inset. There were stairs that went up to it and then it was set in and noticed that there was a normal looking white male knocking on the door. And so I said, I was standing on the sidewalk and I said to him, can I help you with something? And he came walking out and said, oh, I'm looking for Sherry. And Sherry is a neighbor of ours who lived across the street. And I recall looking at my watch and going, well, it's 10 after 11, Sherry's in high school, so Sherry's in school. And he said, oh, okay. And so I said to him, well, what's your name? 
And he said, Kenny. And I said, Kenny, I'll let Sherry know that you came by. So I did request his name at that point because, you know, here he said he was looking for somebody who was my neighbor. So being the way I am, I just thought, well, I'll let her know that Kenny came by. Mm. Um, not thinking anything about it other than he knew who she was. And I think we talked for a minute, um, but I stayed on the sidewalk and he was still on a step. And then the end of the conversation, I said, well, I'll let Sherry know that you came by. And he said, okay. And I watched him walk down the stairs and walk down our street toward the open end. And when I say that, I lived in a cul-de-sac street. Um, and after that, I went in the house, uh, put my bike in the garage, went into the house like I normally do. Did you have an automatic garage door or was it uh, manual? No, it was manual. Okay. So you lifted it up, you put your bike in the garage, and then did you shut the garage door? Yes. And then I went into the house through the door in the garage. And is that door normally locked or unlocked? Unlocked. And then you just went about your day. Did you come home every day about the same time for lunch when you were in college? Within a two-hour window. But, you know, there was a routine. Um, it depended on the day. If it was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday... I got out of school at 10.50, so I would be home around 11.10. If it was a Tuesday, Thursday, I might get out of school at 12.50. And then I would only be home, you know, at 1.10 for a short period of time before practice. So it just depended on the school day. So every day, Monday through Friday, you came home for lunch. So that was part of your routine. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So you went inside and then what happened once you were inside the house? <clears throat> so I went inside like normal day <laughs> and uh, I had the TV on. I was relaxing, reading the paper and um, I looked, I felt like somebody was looking at me and I looked to my left and there was a naked man with a ski mask with the nose and the mouth and the eyes cut out, uh, gloves and a knife. And he told me, don't make any noise or I'm going to kill you and your dog. And I looked at him and I was like, oh no, this is not good. So my brain started racing and I remember leaning to the right and trying to kick him in the private area. But I missed I kicked him in the stomach. He barreled over, pulled on my leg. And in that moment when he pulled on me, I fell off of the couch onto my back. And now I was lying in between the love seat and the coffee table. And Melody, my dog, got on my chest and she was barking and growling. And he told me to get up and put my dog out. So I got up. And I was walking backwards at that point toward the sliding glass door. And all I remember is thinking, you know, okay, talk, 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 talk him out of this, this, you know, find a way. And so I kept saying, dude, you don't want to do this. This is not you. Let's talk about this. 
let's take a step back. You can still get out of this. Um, and we got to about the kitchen table. And for some reason, I said, Kenny, you don't want to do this. And he freaked out, put the knife on the kitchen table and said, uh, 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 I'm not Kenny. And when he put the knife on the table, I scooped it up as quick as I could. And at that point, I was on the back side of the kitchen table in between the sliding glass door and the table. And he was on the other side. And I said some words that he better stay the heck away from me. Um, I remember specifically the veins in my arm popping out. I had that knife in my hand and wasn't gonna let go. <laughs> he started doing some martial arts type actions. I'm not even sure what he was doing. And I was just looking at him. And then he broke, now that I think about it, he broke toward the wall in the, in the family room. And I broke the other way and got, ran through the family room into the entry hall, pulled the front door open, got halfway out the front door. He slammed the door on me, pulled me back into the house. And then he was on my back. And I remember being on the floor, I was on my knees, he was on my back. And I just took the knife, pulled it up as fast as I could. And I just started stabbing as fast as I could behind me, as hard and as fast as I could. Um, not knowing if I was hitting him, not no, I was just stabbing. And the next thing I knew, he got up and ran down the hallway and out through the garage. I ran out the front door and Ronnie, Sherry's brother, was standing on the sidewalk across the street. And I yelled at him to, and I said, Ronnie, call the police, call the police. And he just looked at me and I said, get in the house and call the police. And he ran in the house and I ran to the neighbor's house next door to them. Um, and that's when I knocked on their door or pounded and the mom in that house came to the door and I was holding the knife up like this, trying to say, I almost got raped. And all I could say was Melody got out. We have to find my dog because Melody had run out the first time the door got open before he slammed it on me and pulled me back in. Let me take you back to when you looked up and he was standing right next to you and he had a knife in his hand. How close was he to you? Two feet, foot and a half. I can only imagine the different thoughts and feelings that you had. I can imagine that you were probably surprised or scared but somewhere along the way, you decided that you were not going to be a victim. At what point did you realize what were you doing specifically when you knew that you were going to fight? I mean, all I knew was keep talking, keep talking, um, you know, just thinking. I mean, to this day, your brain is racing. You're like, 
keep talking. There's got to be a way. And that's what I kept saying is you really don't want to do this. This is not good for you. It's not a good decision. I mean, um, we can get out of this, you know, uh, let's just talk about it. I kept saying that over and over. By reasoning with him, by trying to buy time, and time is always a victim's friend, you were really trying to think about your move. You were going to make a move to get free. What was your moment of opportunity? When he put the knife on the table, I got angry and grabbed the knife as fast as I could. I remember scooping it up as fast as I possibly could. And then I was mad. What all of a sudden made you mad? I was mad that somebody felt like they could come into my house and hurt me. Um, And obviously based on the way he was dressed or should I say not dressed, he had every intention of causing me harm. And that was not cool. It was not okay. And, uh, and I wasn't going to let at that point when I got the knife, I wasn't going to let that happen. I think there was another turning point on this. And it happened after he made a threat to you. What was the threat that he made? He said to me, don't make any noise or I'll kill you and your dog. And that's when my brain started racing. This is not good. What am I going to do? Looking back at that moment, at that specific moment, because obviously that's, that's intimidation. That threat is a threat of intimidation. If you would have let him intimidate you at that moment, what do you think would have happened? He would have raped me. Um, no doubt about it. He, his intention was to rape me. Um, I don't know if his intention was to kill me, but definitely know his intention was to rape me. Uh, looking back on this, and I'm sure that you have reflected on it a lot in your lifetime, you started this by saying that you had a pattern And I believe that people, we watch people. It's just a natural human behavior. And some of it is with good intentions. Like we know what time our neighbors leave in the morning. We know what time our neighbors come home at night. You know, you're just watching and people don't necessarily know that they're being watched, but it's quite a coincidence that at the time that you came home from your college course, this man was standing at your door. So I don't believe in coincidences. And you told me, after this, and after they did an investigation, why was this man originally in your neighborhood? He was working on the neighbor's roof. He was a roofer uh, employed by, I don't even know the name of the company at this point. Um, And that's how, through the investigation, we found out that he had become acquainted with Sherry. Uh, my neighbor across the street is he was up on a neighbor's roof and they got to talking. So he was working on a rooftop across the street from your house, one house over. Is that correct? 
Correct. Learning that now, years later, kind of having the epiphany of, oh my God, you know, maybe he was watching me. How does that make you feel? Frightened. It's frightening. Um, I didn't really, at the time, think that this was premeditated in any way. I thought it was a random act by a transient person who picked up work from town to town. The police told me that he was a transient and he moved from town to town. So I never thought that this was something that was planned in any way. But now that I think about it, uh, it definitely makes a lot more sense that at that particular time, he would be knocking on my door. And the other thing I didn't think about for quite some time was because he knocked on the door, my dog was barking. Because nobody answered the door, he knew when I went into the house that I was alone because nobody had come to the door when he originally knocked. Mm, that's an excellent point. And I, I never even thought about that until further down the road when somebody mentioned it to me. He knew that when once you went inside, you were home alone and that your only way for help would be to actually fight him off like you did. Right. And at that point in my life, I mean, um, I was an athlete in college, so I was physically in the best shape of my life. But I specifically remember on that day, I was wearing a pair of jeans and a sweatshirt. So you really wouldn't know what my physicality looked like. Just looked like a female, you mm. know? Now, how did, looking back at the investigation, you said he came in through the garage door. How did he get into the garage? So he, according to the police, hopped backyards, um, went from backyard to backyard over the fences. And then uh, our backyard was flat and then it had a hill. And so he came up the hill and in our backyard, there was a door that went from the backyard to the garage and then a door from the garage into the hallway of our house. And according to the police, he hopped backyards, came in through the backyard garage door and then in through the garage. Mm. And, and very, very old school, uh, you know, that it's your backyard. Why do you need to lock the door to your garage? And why do you need to lock the door from your garage into your house? How has that changed over the years for you? I don't leave a fence unlocked. Um, I don't leave a door unlocked unless the alarm system is on its chime mode that I know if anything has been opened or breached, I can hear it. And now I have multiple points in the house where I can hear that. Awesome. Awesome. Now, a lot of victims, they're assaulted and obviously it's a scary moment. And not everybody asks for help. Not everybody does that. How important was it 
that you ran and got help or meaning how would your life be different if you never told somebody? I think that keeping it inside um, just sets you up to relive it more and more and more. Um, getting help with my neighbors, uh, getting the words to come out of your mouth that somebody just tried to rape me. I, re I remember, and to this day, saying those words was the hardest thing ever because I think I was in disbelief. You know, um, this just doesn't happen where I live. You know, it just doesn't happen. And the fact that that happened and that it happened to me was unbelievable. But getting it out there, ultimately talking with the police, having them do an investigation, ultimately them finding him and getting him off the streets is probably the best thing I could have done for me personally. Um, and then for anybody else, he may have attacked moving forward. Yes, that's a, I think that that's the hardest thing, you know, but again, if you don't report that, he's just going to go out and do that to somebody else. So again, a very brave move on your part. So, you know, thank you for being who you are and for having the strength to do that. Obviously there, there was an investigation and during that time, I hope that you can share with the audience, the police officer made a comment to you and you said that it always stayed with you. Can you share what the police officer said? When you're attacked, it is mandatory that you speak with a police psychologist. And so they take you through the situation, which happens immediately after the attack. Um, and one of the things she said to me which helped me is the, the, the ability to defend yourself because you had the ability to defend yourself. You will manage this better than those who don't fight or try to defend themselves. Um, not that managing this was easy at any point, but I understood her point because he didn't get what he came for. He got more than what he came for and not in the way that he had intended it to go. Um, and because of that one fact, it allowed me to feel empowered that, you know, no, that's not okay. And no, I'm not going to just roll over and allow you to do something bad to me. Um, but at the moment I wasn't, thinking that I was just thinking, I'm not, this isn't happening, you know, and I got to get out of it. I got to get out of it. How am I going to yeah. get out of it? I love that. I love that, Sue. You actually played at Cal State Northridge and their head coach, their former head coach, Gary Torgerson actually taught the team self-defense. And to most players, they walk around to, in today's world and they go eyes, nose, throat, groin. And although you didn't go eyes, nose, throat, groin, you knew at that moment when you were sitting in the love seat to kick him in the groin, how, how much just knowing somewhere in the back of your brain that you had some sort of training on how to defend yourself, how much do you think that that helped you in that situation? A hundred percent. Um, 
So after we found my dog, uh, I went back to the neighbor's house and I kept saying to them, I have a game. I need my gear. I have a game. I need my gear. So Mr. Hall went and checked my house to make sure it was secure. And he came back and he said, okay, go get your gear. So I went and got my gear. I came back to their house and they said, sit down and tell us everything that happened before the police get here. And I said, I have to call my coach. I have to call my coach. We have a game. And I specifically remember calling. I can see myself standing in their kitchen right now, calling our assistant coach and saying to her, I'm going to be late today. Don't worry. Everything's okay. And tell Torgerson, thank God he made us take that self-defense class. Mm. Those are the specific words I said. Um, so I think the training, even though at the time I wasn't conscious, my subconscious kicked in and allowed me to do what he had trained us to do in a bad situation. Yeah. Um, amazing. Amazing. All right. I have one last question for you, maybe two, because, you know, sometimes I like to ask a couple extras. Uh, how did this assault change your life? Moving forward after the assault, um, I was able to get a big dog and that dog went everywhere with me. Um, and he was my protector. And so I was okay. Um, when that dog needed to be aggressive, if somebody came too close to me or aggressively toward me, which only happened twice in that dog's life, that dog did his job and was aggressive in protecting me. 13 years later, that dog, um, I had to send him to heaven and it all came flooding back. So using the dog as a crutch is basically what I did for the next 13 years and not really dealing head on with what had happened to me, um, caused me to slow down definitely. And have some issues with functioning um, in my own home. And so after noticing that that was happening, I chose to go to counseling, which was uh, really, really helpful because even though I had to relive it, it allowed me to relive it in a way that made me feel powerful that I was still moving forward with my life and doing the things I wanted to do. Um, but I had to make adjustments in order to be able to function on the level that I feel is appropriate. Mm. So um, to this day, the event of that day is clear as day to me but it doesn't dictate or define what I will or will not do. It's only made me more aware of my surroundings, more aware of uh, paying attention, um, more specific in what I look at. You know, we look at things and we don't pay attention to details. We just, it's just like the big picture. 
Um, I'm very detail oriented now. Um, yeah. And, and protective. Yeah. What message do you have for women about staying safe? Make good decisions. Um, you, you need to really think, is this a good decision? Should I be walking at 10 o'clock at night, you know, to, from the store to my house? Is that a good decision? Or can that wait until tomorrow um, in the daylight? Um, that's one thing I would say is, and be aware, I definitely would promote taking self-defense, um, knowing and having a plan. What if, you know, think about the what ifs. What if I'm walking to my car and somebody comes up behind me? What am I going to do? Um, because I do think about the what ifs. There is not a time where I leave the market and go to my car and don't think, you know, what if somebody comes up behind me? Um, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Because if you can think about the what ifs, the hope is you never need to implement them, but you're prepared for them. Yeah. And I think that for some people like to think that what if they think, oh, that's scary. I don't want to think that way. But the flip side of that is if something happens, that's scary, you know? And so I think that's an excellent point that you're sharing with everybody. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's more scary to not have a, a plan, right? And not, it's better to have a plan and not have to use it than to not have a plan and be caught off guard. Um, yep. Again, you know, when I leaned to kick him, that was a subconscious move that came from the defense class that our coach made us take. Um, the talking came from the class he made us take. I'm sure of it. Hmm. Um, the anger came from now I'm just mad, you know, that that was just not okay. Um, but yeah, what if, what if, what if, what if, um, yeah. And then not use it. You're part of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. Thank you so much for being so courageous today and sharing your story. It's been my honor, really. And um, the work you do, Barb, is, is amazing. And keep doing it. And I know you're helping lots and lots and lots of women to move forward and to be able to never have an experience like this. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Sue. Thanks for joining me. I know that it's not easy to share your story. I realize that. It took me over 30 years to share the story about my sister, Bev, and how it changed my life forever. But I want to give you the platform. I want to give you the platform to share your experience if you so choose. And this is why. One, it might be the healing moment for you, like we've heard in some of these past episodes. But two, it will allow so many others to learn. Because if we can't learn from each other, how will we know? How will we know the lengths and the extremes that some predators will go to? Women got to stick together. 
I'm a big believer in that. I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thanks for joining me in another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect.